welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, we're going to be looking at the case of Sainsbury Supermarkets Limited and Visa Europe Services LLC. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 24. And the case that we will be looking at this week is all about the payment schemes that go on behind the scenes when you're using your card in a supermarket. This subject can get a little bit confusing because the various banks and card companies end up paying money to each other. We will break things down to try and simplify this, but it is also important that we understand that this somewhat circular process is a large part of the reason why accusations of anti-competitive practices have arisen in the first place. Let's start with the fundamentals. The card companies involved are MasterCard and Visa, but you as a cardholder do not contract with those companies directly. Instead, you get a card from your bank, and in this context the bank is known as an issuer. On the other side of the coin, the supermarkets contract with their own bank, known in this context as an acquirer, to set up things like card machines at checkouts that allow them to accept your Visa or MasterCard. In return for this service, the supermarkets pay a fee called the Merchant Service Charge, but they don't pay this directly. Instead, your bank, the issuer, pays the bank that provides the payment services, the acquirer, who then pay the supermarket after deducting the merchant service charge I just mentioned. If you're still with me at this point, then well done, but it does get still a tiny little bit more complicated. You see, there is also a fee that goes the other way from the acquirer bank to the issuer bank, known as the multilateral interchange fee. This is pretty much a standard fee, but the interesting thing is that there is no actual requirement to contract on the basis of this multilateral interchange fee, it's just that everyone seems to do so. That kind of puts the supermarkets in a very weak negotiating position, and is suggestive that there isn't much of a competitive market in this arena. For competition law, the relevant legislation is still Article 101 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union which prohibits companies agreeing with each other to restrict competition between themselves. It is also important to remember that Article 101.3 offers an exemption to this where the agreement improves the production of distribution of goods or promotes technical or economic progress while allowing consumers a fair share of the resulting benefit. That's all pretty standard, but one weird thing is that there has already kind of been a case like this before. In 2007, there was a case about those same multilateral interchange fees that were in operation across the European Economic Area, and the Court of Justice of the European Union did indeed find that they were anti-competitive. The question was whether that decision could again be replicated here in this context, but as different supermarkets brought different claims, there were mixed responses in the lower courts. Fortunately, all of the claims were bundled together ahead of a hearing in the Court of Appeal, and that court held that there was a restriction on competition because of the multilateral interchange fees. Whether or not there was an exemption under Article 101.3 was dependent on the context of the case, and so while the Court of Appeal made some general comments on that provision, they ended up remitting that question back to the lower courts. The card companies were not happy with that decision, and so they appealed to the Supreme Court, which is where we picked the proceedings up. There were five grounds of appeal, and so the easiest thing is to just go through each of them in turn. To be honest, some are more convoluted than others, but as long as you get the gist of what is going on, then that's the important thing. 
The first ground is fairly straightforward and asks whether there has been a breach of Article 101. Rolled into this is the question about the status of the 2007 Mastercard decision handed down by the Court of Justice and whether that should be followed or if it can be distinguished. For the justices, it was pretty clear that the English courts were bound by this EU decision, even though they did mention that they would likely come to the same conclusion anyway. Without going into too much detail, the multilateral interchange fees are functionally the same in both instances. They are a standard price that is non-negotiable, and are determined by agreement instead of fair competition. So we know that the fees are anti-competitive, but we did also mention earlier that there is a possible exemption under Article 101.3, where the agreement improves the production or distribution of goods, or promotes technical or economic progress while allowing consumers a fair share of the resulting benefit. That is what the second round of appeal looks at, and in particular what the standard of proof in this instance should be. For those of you who are broadly familiar with civil law, you will already know that the required standard of proof is on the balance of probabilities. However, Visa and Mastercard argued that the Court of Appeal imposed a higher standard of proof for them to establish, namely robust and cogent evidence. The Supreme Court was able to distinguish between these two concepts by noting that robust and cogent evidence is not referring to the standard of proof at all, and is instead about the quality of evidence that is needed to discharge the burden. As such, the appeal by the card companies on this point was also dismissed. The third ground is about a much broader economic point, and is to do with the fair share of the resulting benefit that finds its way to the consumers. In this situation, the issue can get a bit complicated, because the consumer could potentially receive advantages and disadvantages on both sides. What I mean by this is that when it comes to the multilateral interchange fees, the consumer is obviously the supermarket because they are receiving the ability to process payments with the fees representing a clear disadvantage in this regard. On the other side though, you as the cardholder are the consumer in respect of the receiving bank, and so the question is whether the advantages that you ultimately receive can balance out the disadvantages to the supermarket. For the Supreme Court, the answer was a pretty clear no, because we are talking about two different markets here, and there is no overlap between the consumer bases. The person who buys their groceries is, by definition, different to the supermarket as a corporate entity where they buy them. As a result, the appeal had to fail on this ground as well. Moving on, the next ground of appeal was really to do with the calculation of damages. The amount of damages paid out by a defendant can be reduced if the loss is mitigated, and the question was whether the exact amount of loss that was mitigated has to be proven in order to reduce damages. In the context of these proceedings, this is to do with if and how the supermarkets passed on the cost of paying the fee to shoppers by raising the price of goods. Something like that is difficult to prove, but if it was the case, then clearly it would be unfair to allow the supermarkets to regain the same loss from the shoppers at the tills, as well as from the card companies in court. Fortunately, this is covered in UK law, and so while it is initially up to the defendant to establish that the loss has been mitigated, once they have done so, there is a heavy evidential burden on the claimant to displace that. Of course, that wasn't exactly the question here. Instead, the court was actually asked whether the exact amount needs to be calculated in order for the amount of damages to be reduced. 
The justices decided that there is a balance to be achieved in this situation. On the one hand, we need accuracy in order to work out the compensation, but we also need damages to be reduced if loss is mitigated, so the claimant does not unduly benefit. Getting this right will vary from case to case, but generally there is no need to be unreasonably precise, and so the card companies were finally successful on at least one of their grounds of appeal. Could they follow this up on the last point as well? This was a cross-appeal by a few of the retailers that questioned whether the exemption under Article 101.3 should actually be remitted back to the lower courts. The reason this line of argument was drawn up in those particular proceedings was because the Court of Appeal itself said that the defence based on this exemption should already be dismissed, so it didn't make sense to send it back down when there was a foregone conclusion. The Supreme Court agreed with this cross-appeal and relied on the principle of finality in litigation. When there has already been a full and fair trial in relation to an argument, this should be the last word on the issue and it undermines the legal process if that is not the case. Overall then, this was an overwhelming win for the supermarkets, and a significant defeat for the card companies. However, there is still a long way to go in the proceedings as a whole, because the actual amount of damages will need to be quantified. It is likely that here the card companies will finally get to enjoy some modicum of success, not least in part because of the single appeal ground that they did win on, if you remember, this is where it was held that once a defendant does establish the mitigation of loss, there is a significant burden placed on the claimant to displace it. Furthermore, the mitigation can come from another source, such as the cost being passed on to customers, and there is no requirement to be completely precise when it comes to the calculation of the reduction. All of this puts the ball in the card company's court, but that is a question for another day. So far as this decision goes, I think that it is generally right. The similarities to the previous Court of Justice case from 2007 are remarkably stark, and so there is no good reason to depart from that precedent. One area that I think is worth further discussion is the third ground of appeal that related to whether the disadvantages to the retailers could be somewhat offset by the advantages to the shoppers at the supermarket. While overall it makes sense that this argument was also dismissed because the two sets of customers were totally distinct, it is important that the courts do not view these economic issues as being so black and white. The whole process of paying for something by card is complex and involves a number of different parties interacting with each other in different ways. From the customers to the shops, from the banks to the card companies. Such interconnectedness should not be ignored and is something that courts should put their minds to before making an award in this area. Law and economics are not always the most comfortable bedfellows, but in order for equity to be done, it is necessary for judges to apply a full understanding. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the UK Law Weekly Podcast and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Remember, if you are still working on coursework or exams or retakes or anything like that, then make sure to check out my YouTube channel where there are loads of lectures there that should be able to help you. That's youtube.com forward slash Marcus Kluber. Anyway, I'll be back with another case next week, but for now, bye! <laughs>